Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains Adventure Podcast. This week's episode is Isaac Kenyon. He is a fantastic adventurer, having experience internationally, but also right here in the UK with so much too. The most recent project he did was Pedal for Parks, where him and a team took the extremely long and scenic route from the very top of the UK to the very bottom of the UK, and um, a bit like a John O'Groats to Land's End, but with extra. (laughs) Um, And they basically just explored different uh, green alternatives to combat climate change. It was brilliant, absolutely fantastic journey. Uh, You should go and check them out too. And uh, previous guest Kevin Mary uh, filmed it and made the film on it as well. But we dive into his background, his adventures, swimming across the English Channel, briefly talk about Kilimanjaro. Really, really hope you enjoy this episode. I certainly did. We had a right laugh, so I hope you do too. Oh, and I keep forgetting to ask, if you are listening on Spotify, they have a new ratings feature, so if you feel up to the challenge, please go ahead and drop a little five-star rating on there or something. Um, Greatly help, obviously, and thank you so much for listening. Otherwise, enjoy the episode. Isaac, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Very good. Thanks, Chris, for um, bringing me on. It's great to have a little chat with you. So um, if I've done a good enough job in the introduction uh, to this podcast, um, so future Chris, get on it. Um, people will know what Pedal for Parks is. Uh, they'll know that you presented at COP26 and, uh, and at the UN as well, which is um, incredible, Kendall Mountain Film Festival. But we'll get more into that stuff earlier. Um, you've got quite an adventurous background, and I kind of wanted to explore that first. How did that look growing up? Were there any foundations laid? Because uh, it takes quite a leap to go from an indoor pool to, a, to a, the English Channel in one go. <laughs> yeah, it does. It really does. Um, so yeah, let's, let's, let's go from the beginning. Um, at home, I was pretty energetic and I was thrown into a swimming pool at a very early age. So my mum and my dad were just wanted to get rid of me out of the house. I was annoying and I was just t- too much hype uh, for them. So what happened was I was swimming, 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 and I ended up getting quite good in a pool and I was doing what 20 30 hours a week whatever it whatever it was getting up in the morning at 4 a.m you know before school and then doing that again doing a two-hour session after school doing the gym session it was it was manic and but that for me was normal life and I did that up until sort of university level then I got into university and I started having a lot more time indoors because of the type of work I was doing I was researching I was a geologist doing a lot of geoscience um, and a lot of it was heavily research and on computers although that sounds counterintuitive seeing as geology and geologists you think are outdoors looking at rocks all day there there are field trips that do that but most of the time you're actually just indoors doing lectures studying just like everybody else and I found it was really high amounts of contact time on screens and I was not doing well well physically or mentally it was just getting quite difficult to balance life and I was doing a lot of indoor swimming in the pool. Now, swimming uh, is exercise, and that's really good for physical and mental health. Don't, like, I would never diss that, but it doesn't quite give you the same benefits as getting outside fresh air, get, properly getting outside, right? And what I was doing is I was going swimming uh, multiple times a week, still doing the, the high amounts of training and representing the university at the Bucks, the British University Sports Leagues and things like this. The, the issue I was finding was I was not getting any proper contact time. And there was one uh, day where my head was just fried. Um, at university, it was also the first time I actually was introduced really to social media as well. I never had social media before then. I was a bit of a one of those guys like, how do you contact Isaac? It's like, well, you, know, you have to kind of talk to him and arrange a date and then just meet him there he's not really like on social media you can't like message him he doesn't really use his phone that type of guy so when I was at uni I got there and everyone was digital I was like oh wait no one's actually gonna like do that with me are they so there was times where I'd meet up with people and they wouldn't be there because they're like well I couldn't tell you I I had to cancel so I was just there I was like I need to get whatever this bloody Facebook (laughs) is or whatever it is I need to get that so I was getting it and then I realized everything was digital my social life was digital my work was digital I just wasn't my head was fried there's just I couldn't even think straight like mental getting, burnout yeah yeah mental burnout too many notifications and I started getting like mental health issues but 
the onset of panic disorder, which I didn't know was panic disorder. And I was getting a lot of mental health issues. Uh, so I just started to kind of complain and talk to people about what was going on, uh, which was pretty good. I'm quite a vocal communicator person, but not uh, now I am digitally, but I wasn't digitally before. I was just more of a face to face person. And then a lot of people said to me, you need to get outside more, mate. And uh, that was more my mum, actually, than anything. She was like, just get outside. Because I remember one time I was I had been indoors all day, 14 hours on a screen. And I just didn't even know what the weather was like outside. I got there in the morning when it was dark and then it was dark again. And this was not like winter when you've only got, what, six, seven hours of daylight. This was in the summer. (laughs) I was spending a whole day indoors in summer. I didn't even know what the weather was like outside or anything. I was like, okay, I need to sort this out. So I started having these breaks and I went outdoors a bit more, just going for walks in woods and stuff. And it was just alleviating. Every, I just felt like a new person and I could see clearly it was, it was like all the distractions, all the things that were buzzing in my head would disappear. And I could actually just focus on what I really cared about. I used to come back energized and ready for more, like doing more work, but I didn't quite get it. I was like, this is strange. Like, what, what is this superpower? And it's, it was literally just outdoor time. And from that, I just started to think like, I need to start incorporating outdoors in my life a bit more, but I want to keep the physical push. So came up with a challenge, the English channel. So in the English channel, I thought, well, I can swim a lot and swimming outdoors the next step uh, to get outdoor time. So I changed my swimming to do more outdoor swimming and um, came up with the idea of, doing a relay with the university and we would train outdoor swimming and then we would swim across the English channel. So that's how it kind of started. And then I got the buzz and I was like, Oh, well, I want to do different sports now and try different things outdoors. I like this outdoor interaction. I'm getting a lot out of it and I'm learning a lot, challenging myself. And then I started realizing that there was a lot of people like me who needed some like inspiration, advice, whatever. So you, you get a lot of education out of what you're doing and you can tell people how to do these things from step by step, how to do these big projects. And I mean, I've gone from swimming the English Channel to rowing across the Atlantic Ocean to creating my own expeditions with ha- different ways of getting from A to B. Uh, and it, it's kind of grown, but th- these were obviously baby steps and there was a journey through it. But that learning and then ed- educating others on how they could do it and maybe even bringing awareness to causes is really is really good out of it so that's that was how it started yeah do, do you think that discovery of the outdoors comes from you know childhood and reconnecting to to when you were younger or was it purely just sort of indoor swimming and, and that discovery out of the outdoors and outside space was brand new for you i think it was a bit of both i think it was a bit of both i mean there was these outdoor trips that we used to do in geology my dad used to take me fishing every now and then um and things like that but I didn't appreciate when I was a kid and I think when you're a child every you're just like you don't even you're still learning what this world is all about you don't understand the meanings of many many things when you're when you're a child but I went camping with my dad and he used to be like oh I just want to play PlayStation why am I here I want to play Pokemon I'll be playing my Pokemon thing uh Game Boy in, in my tent and I remember doing that. My dad was like, get out here. Come on, let's go for a hike. And I'll be like, no, no, I'm playing this. Like, I just remember being in that mindset when I was younger and uh, thinking, how wrong was I <laughs> back then? Like, little did I know I was going down a dangerous route. Um, so, yeah, I think the realization really came through the mental health problems. Um, that's come and they actually have stuck with me now. Um, unfortunately, I have to like keep check on how much screen time and how much work I'm doing on the PC because it can creep back in. Um, so I need to get outdoors like as a necessity rather than a luxury or a want. I mean, a lot of people nowadays are in that same situation, especially during the pandemic. I think, you know, that lockdown yeah. where you only had that one hour it was horrible, a day. Wasn't it? People, yeah. It was horrible. But, well, those in London, my friends in London, some of them had so far just to get to some trees or something like that, a 15 minute, cycle even just to or run or whatever it was to get to get to a little bit of patch of green which they were craving um it's funny you don't crave that when you're not in lockdown but yeah (laughs) Yeah. things have really changed (laughs) well i mean as as someone who has my own sort of mental health um sort of things to just keep keep an eye on um certainly i guess the positive of of that is that it's not an unfortunate that you um 
still have to stop screen time. I think it's quite a fortunate thing that through unfortunate circumstances, you now have the self-awareness to know how much screen time you're having. Because I, I bet there are so many more people than we think who are yeah. just stuck on their screens and they have no idea of the outdoor space or just simply like not looking at your phone or screen can help you. So, yeah. so I, I, think it's, I think it's fantastic that you that you keep that in check. Yeah, it helps plan your life as well. Like you think, okay, right, I've planned actually next week to, oh, that's a lot of screen time, isn't it? Oh, maybe I should reel things in, maybe change some meetings, like that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I do that quite a lot. I always make sure I've got at least an hour, hour a day, minimal outdoors, minimal. Um, but weekends is pretty much mostly outdoors. So I wanted to chat to you a bit more about this sort of adventures you do too. Uh, have they all mostly been in the UK um, or have you had some some more abroad too? Yeah, I, well, I've been to, yeah, abroad on different sorts of adventures. Um, I've done expedition in Norway before where I was uh, canoeing um, with the British Exploring Society and we did a two-week canoeing trip um, through the fjords. Um, I've also done a team, uh, well, in a team of four, I rode from the Lagomera and the Canary Islands on an ocean rowing boat, which is about, I guess, nine feet, eight feet long, four foot wide. And it's a, row, it's a, it's a rowing boat that you can live on. You take all your food. It's, oh, wow. uh, yeah, you take everything on, on it and you've got a lot of um, self, self-sufficient devices on there. So you can desalinate water um, using a desalination machine, which is powered by renewable energy which is the solar panels that are off the back of the boat so you get your electricity from the sun which then powers your navigation your water maker and then from there you're just using your body to row right and there was a lot of seamanship you need to navigate the seas you know working out ways to go go from a which was the lagomera and canary islands to the finish line which was in antigua there's lots of different currents and tides and things that you, you would catch so yeah that was a great adventure that was that took us 40 days to do and it took about three years to prepare for and it was two weeks either side um in the islands so two weeks of pre- prepare preparing the airboat and making sure we're all ready to go in lagomera and then two weeks at the other side decompressing trying to get back into normal society uh opening your phone throwing it in the bin and then getting it again <laughs> that sort of thing um yeah so yeah the atlantic row was good um i've also gone to uh, mount kilimanjaro i've hiked to the roof of africa they call it and yeah. uh, did a little dance there with um with uh, within altitude sickness moment um so i started getting altitude sickness at 5300 meters uh, uh, on the last nosebleeds as well yeah on the last day uh nosebleeds and uh my head throbbing and i was like but i can see i can see the top from here and uh and the guy was like you need to be so quick because we need to get you off here you're in real bad state and i was like okay keep check on me so um i had i love the porters by the way like anyone whoever goes mountaineering make sure you always thank your porters or anyone who's supporting you taking you up there uh, in these in these spaces they really do deserve uh you know your respect and and, and you got up there but they got you up there for most people and uh i was like i was there with him and he was keeping checks on me and then we got to the top uh, that was really good that was in four days the reason why we did it in four days is because i was doing a master's degree at the time and we only had a few uh week well one week really to to do this trek uh, because the deadlines got a bit tight uh, in my masters, so I was uh, I basically said, right, who who's going to take a risk with me? And there was a couple of my mates who said, yeah, let's do it, let's do it in four days, we can do this. And I remember messaging the trekking people saying, are you going? Well, you you're going in four days? Are you sure? And they said, well, we we researched that you could do it in four days. It's possible, but there is a risk. Um, fortunately, we all got up, so it was okay um but yeah i was playing a bit with uh fire on that one um, yes yeah, yeah. altitude's weird isn't it i i remember i i there's a, a man called john gupta who most people listening i'm sure will know him he's a very very well known and established mountaineer um and in lockdown he <clears throat> rather innovatively did some seminars on altitude and the different levels and then you know and things that you need to look out for 
um, as far as mountaineering gear goes as well for mountains sort of five to six thousand meters and seven to eight thousand meters and he had this really good lesson where he um he said how you shouldn't think of the um the summit being just 100 meters away you should think of it being about 45 minutes to an hour away depending on the height of the mountain and the technicality um and then you times that by two and that gets you to the exact same altitude you're at right now so if you're if you're feeling sick um and you're you've you're demonstrating pace or um pace uh maybe not pace actually i'm doing a master's in criminology that's the police and crime act i think uh, but, um, <laughs> um, um but um um but yeah um but yeah if you're demonstrating altitude sickness um then then yeah like, like you said you've got to keep it in check and actually think is this the right thing can i do this and then get back down or should i go down now because it's not just 100 meters away yeah. it's you know two hours until you're back at the exact same spot you're at right now <laughs> so um so, he yeah, seems to think concept. i was so glad, okay glad you were safe yeah yeah he, he said you you probably have the whole day in you uh, if you've from, got a from, porter saying yeah saying i've got he, you he, then yeah basically it's when the it. porter's saying get down and you're going nah mate i got this i'm just some, yeah. some british bloke i know this <laughs> oh they're, they're, they've had a few of those before there was a there was actually on the way up there was a person who had to get wheelbarrowed down um yeah that's how they do it it's the fastest way and um, they throw you on a wheelbarrow and they just throw you down to about the helicopter pad which is three thousand meters down uh, three thousand meters above sea level sorry so yeah. if you're a five thousand you get wheelbarrowed down they can get you there in about three or four hours it's insane how fast they can go i uh, i feel like a lot you know we have a lot of west westerners who uh, you know people who go on these trips we spend a lot of money to go on these trips and whatever and we come with all the records but a lot of these porters you know the nims the nim uh, 14 peaks uh, film mm -hmm. show these guys are another level really uh, if I think they should be doing the records. <laughs> They're the real MVPs, <laughs> yeah. aren't they? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, and and talking, um, edging more about you know gratitude and and um, giving recognition to people. You've talked about adventuring with a purpose before. Um, mm. You know, could you tell us a bit more about your thoughts behind that and what that means to you? Yeah, so I think adventuring with a purpose is absolutely essential. It's like when you think about what I want to do in life. Why? Am I, it's what it's, it is. What is your why? Uh, I think some people see something shiny and they think that's cool. But then you ask them, why do you want to do that? And it's like, well, I, it, that person did it. It looks like it's possible. Maybe I can do it. And I was like, but why do you want it? And you have to, yeah. you have to know your why and having a purpose is really more because when you're in that situation, say for instance, right, you're scrolling or saying, Oh, the Atlantic road looks really cool. I would love to do that. Then you're transported there in the middle. Like you're, you're magically uh, 14 days in it's hell. You're, you're suffering, you're getting cabin fever, da, da, da. And if your why is, this is cool, then uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, you're going to have a horrible time out there. And <laughs> you, you do need to have a, a, a message because that actually propels and motivates, brings you energy, brings you things that you need when you're in, in, in these difficult scenarios. Having a strong why can get you very far uh, in life and uh, in these expeditions. So for me, adventure of purpose is really important. And I always think that, when you have some sort of adversity or something that you're facing, there is a learning experience that you get. Um, and if you have the ability to share it, I think, why not? And mm -hmm. the other thing as well, if you have something that's quite shiny of such, it's a really good expedition or something that's quite um, attracting to people. Oh, that's out of the ordinary or something. That could be anything, right? It doesn't have to be rowing in Atlantic or something like that. It's just something that's out of the ordinary, right? that is a nice platform actually to raise awareness of a cause because once you have hooked somebody through that you have some sort of i guess a power to maybe uh, present a, an opportunity for maybe awareness of something so for instance people see your podcast they're like oh that's great it's all about adventure podcasts i want to go in there then they go in there and they listen to some chats and they're getting lots of different learnings and learning about causes that they may not have ever had if they um didn't come across the podcast yeah we've well, got people's yeah. attention so yeah, so yeah. you can then you can yeah. then in a, in, and this is the key part in a non-salesy way <laughs> you can uh because even if you're making no profit at all and you're just talking about charity you can still f that up yeah <laughs> and, um, yeah and, yeah, and, and like really shove it down someone's neck people hate feeling sold to so yeah so once you've got their intention if you're just genuine about it then yeah then, i yeah. mean what i'm doing say for instance uh, i'm rowing the atlantic why are you rowing the atlantic well, my friend asked me, would I be able to support his mum who's got multiple sclerosis? She just got it this year. 
and I felt like that's an admirable cause. I like your mum a lot sort of thing. And I want to help. I'll help that. So then I drove awareness through the Atlantic to multiple sclerosis. But these sort of things, it's like when I'm rowing, I'm like, well, you know, I've got to get a hit to the other end because I've said, you know, I want to help with this, uh, this cause. This so you have a why. Yeah. Uh, if you're just doing it because it looks cool, or someone else, understand. someone, someone told you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> like my, my mom and dad told me to do this but <laughs> i don't know why i'm doing it that that's not going to get you you're going to start we, questioning yourself we see that in careers as well the, the amount of people you see who go you know who you know i've had people on this on this podcast say you know I, I i was doing this because that's what i thought i had to do and i was very unhappy so i don't do it anymore you know even yeah. when it comes to careers if you're doing it because you, you think you have to then it's not gonna it's not gonna last for you so yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. It's pretty or you're much going to be miserable it. for a long time i don't know pick one <laughs> that's adventure with a purpose it yeah. can be translated into any of everyday life and i think that makes a lovely segue as well for you to tell us a bit more about pedal for parks in your own words now as well uh, how, how did that come about what was the what was the goal there yeah so well here we are two 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 or three uh years later we were at pedal for park stage where we've created this film and it's, it's done really well but where it actually came from was I was trying to marry up two aspects of my life that were quite separate. And one of which was my, my career path, which was in sort of the energy industry and working with um, energy transition and climate solution type things for the, the way we get the energy for the economy. That's, that was something that I've been working on um, in my career from university. And then I had all these adventures and outdoor pursuits that I was doing to fulfill sort of my physical and mental health pushing, learning, challenging, that sort of thing. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool to combine the two and um, have, have something that really makes an impact in the climate solution space, but also I'm gonna have a really great time doing it because it's outdoors and adventures. And what the ambition was, was to use adventure as a way to communicate climate solutions. And what happened was two or three years ago, I met up with one of my friends, Alex, and he's a co-founder of the community interest company we've just founded uh, this year, which is off the back of Pedal for Parks. And we were talking about things we cared about. And um, one of the things was, he, he said, I just need to have an adventure. I want to have an adventure, right? Then we started chatting a bit more and I said, you seem to uh, really have like a, a thought process on the environment here and so do I. And Whilst I was on the Atlantic Row, I was thinking a lot about what I cared about on that Atlantic Row. And this was just before we kind of met. And I was thinking about the environment a lot because the outdoors, and as I said to you, the outdoors has been key for my mental health. I want to protect these outdoor spaces because I can't imagine a life without them. I don't know what my mental health would be like if I was stuck indoors for the rest of my life. And what about the future generations? I mean, if it's affected me, it's going to affect them. So I wanted to do something that would protect and preserve these outdoor spaces. And so did he. Uh, similar story. So we came together, we devised a cycle route, which was going to be the John O'Groats Land's End cycle, but we were going to highlight climate solutions. Um, so these are positive things that people can do or get involved in projects like uh, tree planting, for instance, or creating a new way of building a city um, that allows active green travel corridors or just innovative things. Um, some of it was now happening. Some of it was big, right? Grand scalable things like creating hydrogen across the entire economy. There, there was all these different climate solutions that a lot of people probably didn't know about. And if we had a lot of support with towards them, these uh, solutions could scale up and grow really fast. And a lot of them would all say, the issue why we can't have this sustainable solution right now is because of finance or awareness. So we thought, right, we're going to use this adventure, shiny object, to then try and get people to sort of back these projects. So that was that was the ambition, and we called it an eco adventure. So it's just labeled yeah. mar marketing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everything's marketing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so eco adventure, and from there we uh, made it a bit more um, advent even more adventurous doing a world's first um, quite a dangerous uh, sea crossing so cycling on water to then connect two islands that were very innovative and sustainable hubs um, one of them was the Orkney Islands that are really renowned for all the renewable energy and innovation that's going on up there and it's some incredible cycling um, when you're when you're going through the Orkney Islands 
you're going through quite a barren landscape and there's lots of historical archaeological artifacts and things like this and then you have a lot of shipwrecks uh which doesn't bode well if you're trying to cycle across water to uh john o'groats to extend this uh, cycle so yeah so we um made it quite a bit more adventurous and uh, did worlds first and we cycled from orkney to john o'groats over the pentland firth uh, 15 miles per hour tidal stream um it's pretty dangerous at times so we were lucky that we went at the right time so we did our research worked out when the neat tides were where the tides were at its minimal and then we were able to to do the crossing um with with help from a uh, boat pilot who would guide us past these whirlpools <laughs> that we had to avoid um yeah so good fun uh, and, and then we uh, <laughs> cycled from john o'groats all the way through to land's end and did a a longer sea crossing uh from land's end to the isles of Scilly, which is like an archipelago islands similar to the caribbean but the english version and <laughs> yeah and they were lovely when you got there and, and that was quite a long cycle but that again required good weather and we had a boat pilot that helped us so that was the um the premise of the pedal for parks uh that was the name of our team there was five of us who did it and uh, we made a film out of it and from that film, we've been able to share that all over the place. We've shared it on different platforms like the Royal Geographical Society, which we're, sh we, you know, we're going to show that tonight. Um, and then we're also, we've shown it at the uh, film festivals and we're showing it at more film festivals this year. So one of the film festivals, Kendall Mountain Festival. And we uh, were invited to share it at the United Nations COP26 in the Blue Zone. So where the delegates and the, the, the politicians and everybody was in there uh quite a few were watching it um from there so that was really good to get it in front of you know, some of the decision makers um uh, and and they really liked it and they they invited us back to do some more uh, another type of adventure and support support them they really liked the novel idea of getting a, a, an adventure that shows a journey from a to b of exploration and exploring what is positive like alex and i when we started this thing we were just so tired of climate change this is going to kill us that yeah three degrees it's just so depressing and for you know youth young people they're like looking at their grandparents like what the hell have you done to us yeah <laughs> it's it's quite sad but there is hope and there are solutions and that's what we want to do let's 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 shine a light bring some positivity that's the purpose that's the adventure of the purpose here we want to bring positivity what actionable things that can people get involved in to actually make some change and help i mean people sitting there watching tv on bbc news and they're what can i do how can i help here yeah there's no help it's just like you're telling me that we're gonna basically die and uh like you're not actually the bbc news is not like saying hey check out this project you can get involved in or da -da 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 -da. i mean hope bbc is not listening but it's true mate <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it's um it's a weird contradiction isn't it how um they're reporting all over about the pandemic about what the government should do but uh, but ultimately it comes down to what you and i as individuals do because the government doesn't make me give someone else coronavirus i do by coughing near them when i when i should test a positive um and likewise with climate change they should be doing so much more to change at the top end because essentially capitalism um supports climate change um, yeah. and we need to change that at a fundamental level um how that functions uh, and yet they keep putting it on us to change it's a weird oh, yeah. contradiction how, how apparently it's us who needs to change climate change by recycling our bottles and letting bp continue to have oil spills um yeah it's, and, um, it's, it's contradictory they still take uh, money from uh, a lot of the media outlets do take money from uh you know the fossil fuel industry yeah yeah it's mad isn't it yeah yeah but uh, that, 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 that's a whole other podcast yeah that's a I, deep I more deep than dive. to go into yeah but that's yeah a, it's a deep dive that's, that's a, we'll swerve <laughs> away from that cave <laughs> um yeah um you know hearing you hearing you describe this journey is uh it, it reminds me of a quote aaron rolf said from uh, he's a previous guest from the british adventure collective and he said taking the shortest route is a waste of time um and and it really rings true with with what you're doing there, making your stopovers just crisscrossing and making it all about these these particular stops. And so I wanted to ask twofold. First one is more um, selfish for me. You yeah. know, one of my whys of adventure is landscapes and nature. Um, so of all the national parks you stopped at on the way down um, or other na natural areas that you may have gone to, did you have a particular favourite which you just loved? Oh, yeah. It's hands down for me, the Cairngorms. Um, why? massively just down to the fact that it is so wild 
and the authority there one thing that we learned when we visited and spoke to a ranger out there they specifically move all the industry infrastructure and everything into one area of the park so that the rest is completely untainted there's like less and less footpaths it's just a very raw wild area of the uk that you wouldn't get elsewhere i mean if you went to the lake district for instance unfortunately there's settlements all throughout the park and there's car interconnecting foot yeah car parks everywhere footpaths everywhere it's it's not very wild at all it's, it, for me i almost see it as countryside but um i see more kangorms as something that's a bit more remote and wild and that really attracts me um i just love to just stand stay away you know i don't want to be too immersed in it but just be like wow this is nature yeah and especially when you were looking at our country's best friend america and um and obviously completely different um different situation with the amount of space they've got there but you look at their national parks and you are just in the middle of nowhere when you're yeah. there whereas for us we need to go to noida and even then we might have a plane go overhead um so it's uh yeah it's pretty um it's pretty crazy when you're comparing i, I think you're right actually lake district don't get me wrong stunning absolutely stunning but it's, it, you're right. It's almost like mountainous countryside because of all the settlements <laughs> and, and the and the and the paths. Yeah, and the agriculture. They've they had so much agriculture years and years ago. There was a massive push incentive to get loads of farm farming, um, because we needed to in increase our population um, drastically. So a lot of some some parks were affected more than others, and obviously Kengorms wasn't. But Lake District was one that was heavily affected. Yeah, and that, actually, that that makes so much sense now because you go to the Cairngorms and it's just this raw, you know, plateau, mm. isn't it? Yeah. But um, but yeah, you're right. You go to the lakes, even Brecon as well. If you're driving through weird places in the Bre in Brecon, you go over the cattle grid and it's just sheep everywhere. Which I'm not complaining about. I fucking love sheep, but um, <laughs> not as much as the Welsh. But um, <laughs> but but yeah, you're right. Actually, that's an observation I hadn't consciously made before. You're, Scotland is uh, much more raw. Um, the lo, lo, uh, was it um lo, Lomond Lomond Lock, I can't yeah Lock, Lock Lomond and, and, and the, the Trossachs yeah yeah yeah, yeah they, that seems a bit more that that seems like Scotland's Lake District and Cairngorms is yeah. just raw there's yeah. some great uh woodlands um massive massive red uh, I think they're uh, red fern no red redwood trees in, in uh, the Lock Lomond and Trossachs that are quite rare to get them that tall they were the tallest trees I've ever seen in the UK yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 th I think it's, it's Lock, Lock Lomond, isn't it? We, we, we called it, um, uh, my friend and I called it Lo, Lo, Le Monde, Le Monde, because uh, <laughs> I don't know why. Like, for yeah, the, reason, uh, formula, is that Formula One or something? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like, um, we just thought it had a, a bit more of a French sound, a sound to it. And, um, and we, we met up with our Scottish friend. Um, and I was like, yeah, we really, we really want to have a look at Lock Le Monde. And, and he just burst into laughter. He was like, what did you call it? <laughs> so... Yeah, that's my bad. Um, and you gotta say lock up there as well, lock, not lake. Yes, lock. yeah. Or else they'll really, they'll really have you. They will have you so much. <laughs> they will have you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then moving on to the second part of that as well is, is of all the different conservation projects and innovative ideas that you found, was there a particular one that really struck you as a favorite for whatever reason? Yeah, I think um, my favorite one actually was one that is not really being implemented as such it's more of a visionary idea uh, so it's very futuristic but it's the way we redesign our towns and settlements to be featuring more active travel corridors so one of our headline sponsors was vectors group and i'm not doing this as a marketing thing for them because that that's the sponsor the sponsorship bit is over right but this this particular but this particular uh solution is really good huh? and i i really like the idea of being able to increase green spaces within cities and towns so that we can keep our biodiversity because at the minute what happens is when we build a settlement the way we have done in the uk especially england has we've just like just built through a migrationary route now and and some certain animals go from a to b right a to sleep b to e you you build a settlement through there that you cutting off their food supply uh, they're gonna die and you look and uk has the least biodiversity in the world that's a staggering fact the most sorry the highest level of biodiversity loss in the world mm. let me correct that fact that one is the is, is true and that's because of the way we build and vectors group what they're doing is they're trying to build around active travel networks to increase green space as well within 
within settlements so that you can get migratory routes. So think like projects like HS2 can can work if they can keep the migration routes. So what you know, animals or whatever can go underneath and just trying to uh, keep it so that we're not it's not us versus nature, it's us with nature coexisting rather than us. We're inevitably going to win. Like we've been winning for what, 200 years we've been, but at the end we're going to lose, right? Cause we're going to lose all our nature and our outdoor space. So we have to think very carefully about this. And I think that is a really, really um, interesting concept that I think would be quite valuable for the UK to get behind um, yeah. and, and other countries too. Um, there are sort of big organizations happening now called National Park City, where the cities like London or Edinburgh, Cardiff, they're introducing a lot more park protection. So protecting their royal parks or any any form of green space and then trying to extend them and maybe connect them. And what they're trying to do is create migratory routes so that biodiversity can kind of be reestablished within cities and things like this. So they're, they're currently they've got London quite well set out but now Edinburgh and Glasgow and um, Cardiff are following suit and there's this concept national park cities you've got your national parks and then you've got your city national parks as well um, it's a shame that we have to protect them in this way but it, without without the protection then there is no benchmark of such to improve on it's almost like traits of the British Empire applying to construction, just sort yeah. of like sticking a flag in a field and going, we build here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. It's like, let's regrow this. <laughs> yeah. It's a different type of pioneering now. But isn't it, isn't it, you, you'll undoubtedly know more about this than me, but it, you know, when you're looking at my daughter, for instance, in primary school, uh, and she's bringing home wildflower seeds um, and we were looking into it and, and a, is it the case where there are bees that aren't going to other areas of diversity um, because we've basically created this vacuum of no flowers and nothing for them to go and pollinate? So oh, yeah, that's, that's 100%. The next zone? Yeah, yeah, and incredibly, bees are one of the most powerful things on the planet. Um, and it's, it's like weird. It's like, why, why would bees, of all creatures, be the most powerful things on the planet? Because of the pollination. Mm. And that pollination brings us so much benefits in terms of the way our ecosystem works. Plus they're so, cute as well. So. Yeah, they are pretty cute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, when your, your daughter's bringing back the wildflowers to try and get more basically bees around, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking back to that huge expedition uh, and, and uh, I know we're kind of focused solely on that, but was there any moments where, I mean, as an expedition, I'm, undoubtedly I'm sure it did at some point, but were there any moments where things went wrong? um either like logistically or eventually oh yeah i mean there were so many things that could have gone wrong and there were some things that did go wrong uh, i would say logistically some of the biggest things that went wrong was um probably down to the fact that when someone got injured it was kind of it wasn't detrimental to the film production of such but it was more the fact that like they couldn't feature so much in the film because they were injured and we had to keep the movement because we had interviews lined up so we had to keep the convoy moving and it meant that, you know, that person injured couldn't complete the, complete the challenge properly. Uh, so, I mean, ego aside, that that's, it still kind of sucks that you put so much training into to do it yeah. and you can't finish it. So there was like stuff like that. Um, there was things where people um, interviews would be canceled uh, and then rescheduled. And then we'd have, you know, obviously that changes our cycle base. That changes everything <laughs> where we're going to go cycling they sometimes move location uh oh sorry we, we forgot to inform you we're actually at this other location now which is another 50 miles that way well, and you're so, kind of, you got your social media now so you know now don't you? and you're just like <laughs> are you serious <laughs> we're so tired and now we have to cycle over there because we're cycling to these interviews right <laughs> Mad. yeah, yeah. That's not that's not um 40 minutes in the car and you're thinking, oh <laughs> never mind, just stop a costa on the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's not like that at all. So yeah, so there was some things like that when when a bit wrong. There were some things we just had to cancel. We were like, I'm sorry, but we're not gonna do that. Maybe we can do this interview after the trip, but there's no way we're gonna cycle there. I'm sorry, it's just 
that's not gonna happen <laughs> well that's good that you stuck the boundaries that you had um, yeah and, and didn't just bend over backwards and, and experience more burnout like we talked about before yeah because that that could have been a nightmare especially for kevin as well <laughs> trying to film everything and get his yeah get his um get everything in line and organized kev, for those edits <laughs> kev can tell you that that trip was busy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and the hardest part i guess when we were out there was what we didn't take into account was just so much contact time with people mm. with everyone there was no personal one-to-one time hardly ever unless you were on the bike so when i was on the bike i used to go to the front drop onto my uh, aero and that was my only free time mm. i was like oh time to my space time to like recharge time to because well, as soon as you get to interview that's a film set it's busy chat 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 got to do the questions come off that get your lunch everyone's chatting da, da, da get back to the camp everyone's ch- like that everyone's together so it was only su- the only moment to escape was the cycling and that was something i did not take into account that was a very busy trip yeah absolutely yeah i i i know the feeling all too well of just getting socially fried it's not so much like a burnout but yeah i i myself and my, my best friend we talk about it often actually how how we we just love a bit of me time i <laughs> just um you know yeah. whether that's just having an uh, as a as a um, a 28 year old bloke um having a nice bubbly bath or if it's uh, <laughs> or if it's just simply going out for a walk on your own um yeah i love doing that so yeah. so good to recharge because then it just means you're giving your all to to someone i used to think i was an extrovert but i heard um someone say that um it doesn't matter how outgoing you are if you recharge um by yourself that means you're an introvert and if you uh, recharge by being with other people you're an extrovert you've got extrovert tendencies like me then so we're very yeah. similar. I do the same. I have to be by myself. I actually, in my diary, calendar, whatever, I allocate days to myself, just me. Bye. Bye, everybody. Sorry. No, that's uh, not, so not, good. To, not today. <laughs> that's so good. If anyone yeah. could take anything from this, hopefully it's the climate change elements. But yeah. also, yeah, definitely you you like me days are so yeah. good. Um, yeah. and, and it works because um, this Friday I'm doing a karaoke night with some friends, which we've been building up to. Oh, cool. um, and because I've been recharging a little bit recently, I'm going to be able to go all out and, um, and, Give s- it and make all. myself look like a proper fool um, <laughs> as opposed to turning up just burnt out already. So <laughs> Yeah, burnt out fool, but better to just be an energetic Singing 80s work. love ballads, crying down the microphone about why I'm not just at home with a coffee. <laughs> yeah, good times. Perfect. Well, um, you've... Um, You've got a history, um, you know, briefly looking over what, what you've what you've gone in for and, you know, especially looking back at that English Channel stuff. You've got a history of signing up to events uh, without f- knowing fully what they are. And I know you've talked pre- previously about how important the research is, but what are your views on delving into the unknown in that regard? Oh, yeah. I mean, countless examples. Uh, Atlantic Road, never rode before. I'd never sailed before signing up to that. Cycling, I'd never really cycled before. I'd never ridden on a road bike. I'd never cycled on water, you know, swimming, open water. Again, I never swam outside before in open water. You, I find that once I did it once or twice, I realized it's like, that's part of the fun, not knowing a little bit and experimenting. I mean, of course, there's a bit of safety involved and don't do anything that's silly. Like don't actually turn up to an Atlantic row and not row. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? There is, there is an element of, you know, use your common sense sort of thing right what i'm trying to say here but um i find that you learn and you grow the most um your confidence increases a lot and you can actually really really get a lot more out of life not following sort of a done path and sometimes what you do which is new can help you in something else that you didn't know that would help me for instance signing up to the atlantic row now, when I signed up to do that, I just thought I had to learn how to row and sail. But actually, I had to learn how to start a business because I needed to get sponsorship. So I learned how to do all that. And then I used that in my day-to-day work, which I didn't think was useful. Like, do you know what I mean? There's, it's, an, it's an opportunity that's missed if it's an opportunity not taken. And that, that for me is, uh, you know, just say yes and you'll find out how to do it later. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love that. Uh, and actually you would be the second second guest in a row if i get the scheduling right you'll be the second guest in a row that has said that know, don't, don't over plan stuff prepare but just like go into it and just experience what what it throws at you yeah i so. mean if you out, allow some flex is important um as well like if you go in so planned and rigid it becomes stressful as well you know 
So the, one of the last topics we, I wanted to go into before sort of asking a last last couple of smaller questions before we head off, because I, I know we're running we're running on time just for my schedule, but also your schedule too. Um, but um, we, I want to delve into fear. We we talked a bit about oh, yeah. fear just um, just this morning on before we well, I went on to the uh, the Zoom call. Um, first of all, w- you know what kind of things do you experience fear in, and how mm-hmm. do you manage that fear output? A lot of the things I experience fear in is mostly, I would say, things I haven't done. Because once I've attempted them or try to attempt them, I get a bit of confidence because you've started doing the process. So my main fear is not doing like something I'm not done. Um, some of that can be, for instance, rock climbing. I have a fear of heights, but I have done rock climbing. And now the fear is lessening each time I do it. Every time I do it, it gets less and less. But yeah, it seems to be things I've not done before. Like any anything I haven't really put myself into a situation. And it's usually more physical than, well, actually saying that, I do have a fear of my mental health going wrong again. <laughs> saying that, I do have a fear about that as well. So that's a big fear as well. But um, I would say, yeah, more so uh things i've not delved into and how yeah. i get over it i attempt them <laughs> yeah so 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 that that was that was really what what, what um this the second part of what i was trying to go for as well like, like when, when you've got these fears and, and you know things that you need to manage do you just kind of flap and just run run into them or or do you are you quite analytical with it or are you someone yeah. who sort of just blanks your mind and just just focuses on the, on the next move or how how do you because well, um, you don't have a fear of open water, I suppose, given what you do. I did. Oh. I did. So when I was younger, in that pool, I used to hate the deep end because I didn't like the dark. Yeah. And my coach used to say, Isaac, you always swim very fast in a deep end, but nowhere else. Like, your races <laughs> are really quick when you get into the deep water. So, yeah, but I wasn't going to say I was scared of the deep. Like, I was never going to say that. Um, yeah, yeah. I like to uh, push it in the deep because everyone else, you know, can't tires out at that point. But no, that wasn't the answer. <laughs> the uh, open water was a bit of a fear. Um, so do you do you just look up, you know, facts about what the fear is and say, no, no, you know, for instance, rock climbing, do you think, no, I'm fine. It's on this pulley. I've got this knot. I've done this sort of thing before. You know, it's not going to happen. Everyone else around me is doing it. Do you think those sort of things? They or can do help. you just go properly into, into yourself? How, what kind of methods do you use to, to kind of get past these things? I kind of talk to a lot of people in doing who've done that. Mm. So I would first do a bit of research about it. You know, kind of, I'm very analytical with things. I take calculated risk. That's what I do. Everything I do is calculated risk. I mean, most people have calculated, everyone's doing calculated risk, but they don't know they're doing it. Mm. But everyone's doing some form, doing something and, and giving it a, a number in their head. Like, 10, I'm not doing that. Or eight, I might, uh, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a number in their head. And I tend to try and just reduce that number by doing various different things, like research about it, talk to people about it, go with someone who's done it before. And they can teach, learn, learn uh, before you do it, like learn, the moves of rock climbing before you even face a wall. So I wouldn't be comfortable to even get on a wall without having every single knot known or everything. Like I just wouldn't feel comfortable at that point. Do some bouldering. I did, I, you know, I started with some bouldering first before going up the walls and just thinking of ways you can mitigate the risk and then adding a little bit more, a little bit more than that, a little bit more, that. but having kind of like a support network of people you've spoken to and, they can kind of help you as you develop sort of thing. So it's two and two, really. Bit of research, bit of chat. <laughs> I mean, that sounds yeah. really simple, right? <laughs> no, no, I really, really like it. I like that like, that concept of having having a number of calculated risk and taking steps to reduce that number. That, yeah. That's such a, especially, I'm quite an analytical mind as well. So I really liked that. I've not heard it described by that before. Like, what can I do to reduce that number? Um, I've only ever just thought, you know, more subjectively, what can I do to feel better? Just kind of the same thing, but in a less measured way. So I yeah. really, really like that that concept, that that calculated risk approach. Yeah, that's that's yeah. fascinating. 
Oh, yeah. man, this, this is, I've got two, well, kind of one and a half more questions to ask. Um, but I feel, I feel like this, like we've done, we could go on for your background and pedophile parks. So and like, I feel like we could do an episode two, like a series, Isaac Kenyon, the series. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, uh, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> be, a lot, be a lot for the audience. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, there's so much more we could have del- uh, delved into. But, but my, my second to last question is, and I ask everyone this, is what is one moment in your adventure career that you would love to relive? One moment in the adventure career? to relive mm. do you know what first time i jumped in that open water really to, to make that leap into the yeah first Just... time i did that jump like complete electric shock being so close to nature on the water level but also being like okay i've made that leap i've made that sort of that moment where i've gone from being indoors and having all these mental health issues to trying to do something about it like properly and trying to make it so that it's a purposeful for my life and i was just like at that point i was like there's no turning back this is it now perfect now, it was a small thing uh, it was really important there was a there's another one as well another moment where i kind of took that walk in the woods uh the first time when someone told me to do it but i think the open water swim was after reflecting a bit more over time i've i've kind of realized that probably was my favorite adventurous moment perfect perfect and the last question is if we wanted to follow along with your adventures and all the updates that you've got going out and you know where the film's gonna be where can we go and do that yeah sure and um, the film is currently um on kendall mountain player um but to find out more about sort of the projects i'm doing at the moment um, you can always head over to my website at isaacindian.com and it's got a link to all the projects, the adventures, blogs, all that stuff, podcasts, things. And then there's um, also the community interest company that I've set up, which is going to do more eco adventures and more film content. And that's called Climate Explorers. And you can find that on climateexplorers.co.uk. Uh, Climate Explorers and myself, uh, we're all on social media. So feel free to follow, send a DM, chat. I'm open whenever. Just uh, feel free to contacts and it'd be great to hear from from anyone perfect perfect brilliant well listen isaac i can't thank you enough for coming on that was so much fun thank you cheers yeah thanks chris cheers take care